Well, you might be sitting at home saying, you know what, I just don't feel blessed. Well, just remember that song. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field. Amen? Even if you don't feel like it, it already, it's in the Bible. It's already there. We need to receive it. And I like when we receive it in song. Praise God. Amen. Well, we got uh, this evangelist here ready to go. He's been itching to get up here and, and, and give us some good news. So let's welcome evangelist Big Tommy. Come on, Pastor. How's everybody doing today? Well, I'm going to show you a little bit what goes on behind the scenes when um, we're not here at church. We got a little, do we have the slides for those? We got those? Went into uh, two high schools and um, did Firefighters for Christ. And um, last week, it was amazing what God did. But if you want to see the video, what we're doing behind closed doors in public schools, winning people to Jesus, go ahead and show some of those videos. This is a group of kids at um, Esperanza High School doing the altar call, and then right, right in the midst of the school, lunchtime, where about 30 kids raise their hands and give their lives to the Lord. So, yeah, go ahead and you hit the next one if you want. Just kids praying. and But you can just see it in their faces. They're, they're, this in a 20-minute period, just boom. It doesn't take a long time. Go ahead and we hit that. And then breakthroughs for Jesus. I'm smashing through the bricks. That's the soda cans popping. So I thought it was a great shot. And then go ahead and uh, bend in the steel bar. And it just, this is just silly tools, feats of strength to capture attention of the kids. This is Firefighters for Christ. We had a couple of them come and get saved. We had, during that, that meeting, we had a guy on his radio, the guy here to the right, um, getting a call for a guy who was ready to jump off a bridge right here in Pasadena, uh, commit suicide. Amazing. And you see these guys spring to action, but they've got a higher purpose. You know, my, my man Carlos comes up and he says, man, I'm a fire, the guy got my arm around, said, I'm a fire starter, not a fire fighter. And he said, man, we're going to start this and, and take Pasadena for Jesus. So that was exciting, just seeing what the Lord's doing. I think that's it. Is that it? Okay. So that's some of the stuff that's happening. I was with... Um, Inter international conference uh, a couple of weeks ago for Grace International, and the pastor Craig from Roseburg, Texas, or excuse me, Oregon, October 1st, we had a junior college in Roseburg, Oregon. Y'all heard about that? A guy comes in and shoots nine students. He was there on the scene. He said they got about 12 pastors that band together. They were the first responders on the scene. And it was amazing in seeing the testimony. And this one 17-year-old young man coming up, and they pictured him, and they said, let me tell you about this guy. He had enough sight, foresight in his mind that, that even when the guy said, are you a Christian? He said that everybody that said they were a Christian, boom, he'd shoot him in the head. He said others, if they said they weren't, he'd shoot him in the leg or something like that. This 17-year-old boy had enough consciousness left that, that when he got shot in the middle of the forehead, that he saw a girl laying on the ground, and he fell on top of her to shield her body. And there he's bleeding out, covered with blood, and this girl just laid quiet and still. And the pastor said, that's the pastor's daughter of one of our other churches. Talk about being covered in the blood. I mean, just the amazing, and it just, it left me with such a burning anger down inside. And, and I went up to the pastor. I said, Craig, I said, listen. I said, let's go back up there. I said, they got nine of, nine of ours. Let's go back up there. Are you ready to bloody the devil's nose? He goes, man, I'm ready. I said, they got nine. We're going to go get 100. 
I said, you bring me in. I said, we're going to take my men. We're going to come in and bust into this place. We're going to get 100 students saved off that campus. So in the fall, spring, I'm going out there to, to do an outreach with them. But that's how we should be proactive with the church. This is not a funeral. This is not a, like, you know, just, you know, hey, the world's going from bad to worse. It's a time to celebrate, but as we gain victories. We're not here to just say, oh, Lord, come back and rapture us out of this wicked, cruel world. We're here. Victorious eschatology says that God's come back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's come back for a church in power. How many of you would you get married, and, and there's your bride, you know, in a torn up, dirty dress, mud slung. How many of you marry a girl like that, especially if you're a guy? Forget it. He, he loved <laughs> I'll tell you what, I didn't see Kelly in a beat up old dress on that wedding day, did I? I saw a beautiful grotto and, you know, it was incredible. But, but that's what we're coming, waiting for is Jesus has come back for bride of Christ that's victorious. And it's time to bloody the devil's nose. It's time to fight back. When I saw Ann Coulter and I talked to her and, and I said, listen, the pastors, you know, most of them don't hold a world Christian view. And, and she said, that's because they're afraid. That's because of the media. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, that's what I'm fighting against. And more than ever now, pastors are starting to waken up that they're saying, listen, we cannot just sit back neutrally. It's not about just come and bless me. Let me rub all the hair off your head and bless you. Well, you know what? That's not going to change you. But when you have the Spirit of God inside of you and you know your mission and your calling and you're saying, listen, I'm going out to advance the kingdom of God. That's what gets to be exciting. I remember on the football field walking out on that tunnel. And one of the most exciting moments in the life of a football player, especially on the defensive line, is seeing that quarterback there, and you just busted through that offensive line, and you know there's nobody between you and that quarterback, and sticking your helmet right in the middle of his sternum and coming right up through his throat, then going up in the stands and slapping his mother. It doesn't, I'm teasing. <laughs> but that's the ferociousness and the, 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 the desire saying, listen, I want to win. I want to I beat that devil. And that's how we've got to see one of the greatest blessings you can have in your life is smacking that devil, standing up and saying, I'm not going to let you have my family. I'm not going to let you have my job. I'm not going to let you have my culture. And we're going to talk about that today. You're going to be amazed at what you're going to see. If I was to ask you, what is the church for? What's the definition of the church? Who's got a good definition of the church? Government of God. Government of God. Good. Very good. Who else? What's the church for? What's the definition of the church? Okay, fight the enemy. Reach the neighborhood. Discipleship. There you go. Establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Most Christians don't even know what to do. Great, we get them all saved, but saved for what? When I heard Greg Laurie on the radio the other day, it's almost like he was apologizing for the lack of commitment in the follow-up of the thousands of people that supposedly raised their hands and come forward at the altar called the Harvest Festival. Well, we're doing everything we know how. We're sending a follow-up letter. We're sending them to a church, blah, 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 blah. That's not going to change anybody. It's being able to come in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, say, to, to, to train and equip not babysit and nurture, not to entertain. 
Come to my church. We're going to entertain you. Come to my church. We're going to babysit you. And what is discipleship? Okay, training up. Under Ephesians 4, it says, I'm, I'm called to train and equip until the disciple becomes the stature of the maturity was found in Christ Jesus. It's pouring your life out into somebody else and duplicating yourself. That's discipleship. Now, do you have something in you worth discipling? Worth following? Follow me as I follow Jesus. Is there something worth what is in you that somebody else says, I want? That's the real secret. Establishing the kingdom of God. Jesus came and said, my will is to do the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? He said, to seek and save the lost. A lot of people think the church is here for the unsaved. It's not. The church is here for the Christians. Well, I thought we should get people, well, that's something we should do is get people saved, but, but not necessarily here in the church now. It's, it's taking what we've, we've got here, being trained and equipped, and going and getting out there. To seek and save the lost. How many of us live our lives that way? Or do we just come and say, well, I want to go and get blessed again? What do we hear when we're at church? Bless me, Lord. Meet my needs. Here's what I need. I'm looking for a breakthrough. I'm looking for a healing. I'm looking to be blessed. Or do we hear, Jesus, I'm here for you. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to confront? Every time I go see Kelly when she sings someplace, I go there not because it's a barroom scene. I go there because there's dying people that need to be saved. Kelly invites me out, and, and, and one of her friends is there. He's contemplating suicide just a little over a year ago, and now that man is an associate pastor at another church and just kicking the devil's tail. I'm always looking. Who do you want me to talk to? What, what do you want me to do, Lord? Going behind enemy lines in a public school, leading people to Jesus. The director of FCA was my teammate at USC, Mark, Mark Boyer. He said, you got people saved during lunch? Because that's not what they're geared for. They're fellowship of Christian athletes. But we're going in there while they're stuffing their mouths with pizza and drinking their soda, coming with the message of the gospel, depending, you could have heard a pin drop those days. Silmar High School, Esperanza. And lives are being changed. What's your sphere of influence? Maybe it's on your job, in your neighborhood. Where's God sent you? Are you bringing the kingdom of God? Jesus preached about the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom, not how to be blessed. Yes, there's principles of faith and this and that, but he said he came preaching the principles of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he started speaking what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Kingdom means we got a king. There's patterns, principles, rules, regulations. There's, there's a way, a culture of life. And what is being warred against in our country? Against the Christian culture. Do you know how the Muslims are planning to win? Not by firing one shot, but invading and starting to take back the culture. Destroying everything that has a remnant of Christian culture. We'll see that in a minute. And they'll win without firing a shot. 
In this country, we're being undermined in our American Christian history. We're being taught that America was founded on greedy, evil men. Imperialism, just want to take over. That's not what it was founded on at all, but we have historic revisionists that want to propagate a lie and take Jesus out of our culture. Even during the evils of slavery, I remember my, my friend Daryl Green from the Washington Redskins, one of the best defensive backs ever. They came to him and another friend of mine and said, listen, we want a slave memorial. Now you've got to be inclusive. He said, forget that. He said, during slavery, the, the, the slaves were praying to Jesus Christ, not Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, and Jesus set them free. The Bible says that we're all from one blood. It's no black, white, Hispanic, Asian. We're all from one blood. And the standards that God puts on one, he puts on us all. He says, hey, go export my kingdom. Take back what the devil's stolen. Where's the devil stolen from you? In your family? On your jobs? Your emotions? I've seen so many unstable Christians, it's not even funny. It's like, come on, rise up. Romans 8 says, greater is he that's in you than the, 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 the spirit of Christ in you. You got the exact same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, alive and inside of you. What should we be able to do? We should be the answer bringers for a generation. The church is to train and equip. The church is to make a cultural impact. Because Christianity isn't just something we do on Sunday and Wednesdays. It's a way of life. That's what separates us from a religion. Religion is man's best attempt to get to God. But Christianity is a way of life. Personal relationship with Jesus. And says, as you see me, now you go out and do it. By the time you get done with this message today, you can all have your PhD. Amen. Preaching, healing, and deliverance. <laughs> I want to go give that devil a bloody nose. I remember I got knocked down by those two-by-fours when I was running through them with the power team. And when I got up, I quoted that scripture in Micah 7, 7, 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, for though I fall, I shall arise. Come ask me afterwards, after the church service, after I'm not on the pulpit, what I said right after that. Because <laughs> I said, devil, and I'm coming to kick your tail. So the most destructive points of my life where we're knocked most people out, I got back up. And I said, devil, I'm coming after you. I'm going to shove this down your throat. I'm not afraid to talk like that. Because I know who my God is. The greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That I've got all power, might. That same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive inside of me. Therefore, I can bring answers to the lost, dying world. People said, how did you minister to so many pro athletes? Because I don't give a rip who they are. I don't care how much money they make. Because they're just people like you and I in need of a savior. I was so timid and shy, you would not believe it. But what could change me, timid and shy, into a bold witness for Jesus? Same thing that happened to the disciples. Acts chapter 4, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with all boldness. There's nothing more fun than giving the devil a bloody nose. There's nothing more fun than leading somebody to the Lord that was lost. Seeing lives turned around. 
and then becoming an active participant. Why set up in those stands at the Coliseum under wet, rainy day where most fans were leaving by the droves? As a high school student, I looked down on that field and I saw those USC tro Trojans and the white horse running around as the SC scored another touchdown. At that moment, I was ruined for being a spectator. And I said, I gotta be a participant. Football's just like the church. Usually, I mean, you see the, the action on the field. You got 11 players, 12 players down on the field giving their all while you got 80,000 people in the stands doing nothing. God says, I don't want you to be a spectator. I want you to be a participant. I want to activate you and your gift, your calling, that you may impact your sphere of influence for his glory. Listen to this. This is this amazed me. This was George Barna. He's one of the, the top pollsters, especially for Christians, in the entire country. He's so well known. These are the top 12 issues the church wants to hear about. When they were polled, they say, what do you want to know about? What do you want to be educated on? Number one issue. Anybody want to guess what it was? That's pretty good. That's a different survey. That's a bar in a study, too. <laughs> it, was, it was number one, abortion. When does life begin? Right to life, contraception, adoption, unwed mothers. 91% of the church wanted to hear about abortion and what answers we have. Number two, religious persecution or about liberty, personal duty, government duty, church response, global conditions. 86% wanted to hear about religious persecution. 85% wanted to hear about poverty, our personal duty, government role, church role, homeless, hunger, dependency. Number four, 83% wanted to hear about cultural restoration, appropriate morals, laws, order, defensible values, the norms, self-government. 82% wanted to hear about sexual identity. What does the God say? Number six was, was they want to hear about 80% wanted to hear about Israel, its role in the world, Christian responsibility to Israel, U.S. foreign policy towards Israel, and its enemies. 80% of people want to know. 79% wanted to hear about Christian heritage, the role of Christian faith in American history, church role in U.S. development, modern-day uh, relevance. That's a big one. What difference does this make? Why should I hear about cultural change? What good is it going to do if I talk about abortion and sexuality and persecution? Number one, God wants to make you aware. He wants to give you understanding. Then he's giving you a vote. And one of our duties culturally under God is to vote. And to vote not as Democrats, not as Republicans, but vote as Christians. How can we both vote the most Christian as possible for the candidates that are running? How to find out and get past media bias and find out what they really think. So the role of government, 76%. 76% was bioethics, cloning, euthanasia, genetic engineering, organ donations. 10 was 75% was want to know about self-governance. That's been a word that's been lost from our culture. What does it mean to be self-governing? It's amazing. 
personal responsibility, rugged individualism, determination, applying yourself, not looking for bigger government, looking for more personal responsibility and taking charge. We, this is the first generation. It's almost more advantageous to go on the government welfare than it is to, to work an average job. Government giveaways, he can earn thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year. Why should I work? Well, is that moral? What does God have for you? What does it mean to self-govern? Number 11, church and politics. Is there true the, the phrase separation of church and state? Do you know where the phrase separation of church and state is found? At least it was. It was in a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote to his brother. Never in any historic legal document. The church was never to be separated from the state. Matter of fact, the fourth arm of government during the foundation of our country was considered the church. The reason we fought the Revolutionary War was because of one sermon. A defense of war is just and sinless in the sight of God. That sparked the entire revolution. The founding fathers, what they held to, there, there, there was no separation of church and state. And the only place you could find it in modern day documents was in the Russian constitution. They had separation of church and state, but not in any U.S. document. Number 12, they want to find out 72% wanted to be trained on, on Islam. Core beliefs, response to Islamic aggression, threat to U.S. peace, domestic stability. Go look what's going on in Europe. The Muslims invading Europe. They call it because of persecution. They call it because of all kinds of stuff. And, and, and there's very questionable whether it's true or not. German chancellor opening the doors of Germany saying, oh, yeah, come on in. Because Germany has such a, a low population rate. They didn't have enough people to, to populate the, the positions of workers. But now it's overrun. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. And the Muslims, one of their missions is to make Christian culture irrelevant. Even in cities in America, they're becoming Sharia law. Totally thwarting our constitution. American laws. And you ask the Muslims, I've watched on the surveys, saying, saying if you believe in Sharia law, does that take precedent to the constitution? Is virtually every good Muslim 100% said yes. That's scary. So those are the top 12, and along with that, I'm, I'm, i got eight stories here. I'm only going to give you the headlines, because the headlines say it all. This is culturally this last week. First headline, workers remove Ten Commandment Monument from Oklahoma City Capitol uh, grounds at 10.30 p.m. to keep protesters from demonstrating. There's, there's a monument of the Ten Commandments. They removed it in the middle of the night so they wouldn't get protesters. Pork products face workplace ban for being offensive. We're not serving hot dogs, are we, after this? <laughs> I'm offended. All Said all beef. <laughs> Schools cancel America Day. Do you know what the fastest growing language in the United States is? Arabic. Fastest growing. 
World's first lesbian bishop calls for the church to remove crosses and to install Muslim prayer space instead. The issue of sexuality isn't even being touched here. It's irrelevant what kind of a bishop she is, but it is relevant when you remove crosses from churches and instill Muslim places of worship. Glamour Magazine names Caitlyn Jenner Woman of the Year. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Here's another one. Planned Parenthood sells body parts. And then I've got a quote here from, from Dr. Deborah Nukatal of Planned Parenthood. I can't even read to you. I won't read to you during a church service. It's so gross, despicable. The videos that are arising of, of aborted fetuses, their body parts being sold. Doctors saying, listen, we, we, we know how to get the heart, the brain. We know how to get the liver. So we crush here and we crush above here, but we can preserve the heart, the liver, and the... And most of these mothers that go plant parenthood, a lot of them don't even know that that's going on. So these are some of the top... Here's one more. I'll give you this last one. Number eight. Phrases such as America is the land of opportunity... America is a melting pot plot are microaggressions that could leave some students feeling discriminated against, according to Janet Napolitano, president of the University of California school system. That's being taught to the educators. You're offending me saying America is a land of opportunity. This country that was founded on the back of Christian ethics and principles. If you don't know that, you need to do some history. It's so abundantly clear. If you look at the documents of our founding father, but the, the historic revisionists are trying to remove God out of every phase of American history. And some of the things that God did for the American people during that time, it would blow you away. We're coming into Thanksgiving and the, the story of Squanto, the Indian, how God preserved him to save the pilgrims is one of the most amazing stories of the hand of God on an individual life. And if God will put his hand on an Indian named Squanto so clearly, can't God put his hand on you? Squanto was sold into slavery. While he was gone, his whole tribe was mysteriously wiped out. They said it was a mysterious plague, so the other Indians would not even touch the land because they said it was cursed. But that was the very land that was pre-prepared that when the, the pilgrims landed there, they could have landed anywhere up and down the coast, but they landed at Plymouth. And all of a sudden, the land was perfectly ready for them. Could you imagine their shock as they got off the boat? They went through their first few months and uh, just where many of them died off, the, it was incredible whether they'd survive or not. And all of a sudden, one day, an Indian walks out of the forest speaking perfect English. First time, he was, he was captured, sold in slavery to England. Second time, he came back, he got captured again. They sent him to Spain, where he was raised by uh, Spanish uh, missionaries that told him about Christ. And he got back to the homeland, totally prepared as an instrument of God. As much as he was an instrument of God, you are an instrument of God. And God's prepared you for your sphere of influence. Amazing story. God's hand is on your life. 1939, there's a pastor. I don't know if you'd ever know him. His name was David Schock. And, and I think he was with Foursquare. But he's out of Long Beach. He's an old-time pastor, great man of God. 
And I remember I'd sit with him and he'd tell me, he said, Tom, don't let what happened in 1939 happen today. And what he was referring to, it was called the imminent return or the forthcoming return of Christ being imminent, like it's going to happen. They said there was a theology saying the return of Christ was going to come in 1939. Don't get a job. Don't get married. Don't go for advancement. Don't start any new businesses because Jesus is coming back. Therefore, get ready. 1939 is coming. How many of you know Jesus didn't come back in 1939? But Hitler did invade Poland. And, and, and he said the most staggering thing he said, he said, Tom, we lost a generation of Christian leaders in 1939 because we stepped out of politics, we stepped out of education, we stepped out of culture, we started to embrace the, the, the pattern of, of, of denying God, and God falling out of a country is, is, is you forget God, you forget God's laws, you get new gods and you write new laws. Why is the subject of what marriage is so big today? I mean, you go around the room and say, how many of you came from broken homes? It'd be over half of us. How can we know what marriage is, what a husband, what a wife is, when we haven't seen it 40, 50 years? No wonder there's so much confusion. And now we're being paraded around to expect to accept the most obscene incredibly strange situations with marriage, gender neutralization. How many of you'd like me to say, well, I don't feel like a man today. I feel like a woman. I'm going to use the woman's bathroom. <laughs> Legally, you can't judge me. Gives a whole new definition of that song, feel like a woman. You're a guy, you come in our bathroom, women's bathroom, where we got our kids out, I'm going to bust you up. care what the law says. But we don't know cultural norms because we've gotten rid of God, we've gotten rid of God's laws. We've created new gods and new laws. Eminent return theology. Here's the question for the day. Are you here to leave a legacy? or a vacancy. Judges chapter 2. Moses left a legacy with Joshua. Trained him, equipped him. He went into the promised land. He led the children of Israel. He was at Moses' right-hand side. But listen to this. <clears throat> Moses left a legacy. Joshua left a vacancy. Judges 2 verse 10 says this. The generation after Joshua didn't know the Lord or the works of God. And that's why he had to raise up judges. God's looking at us and he's saying the same thing. He said, are you leaving a legacy or are you going to leave a vacancy? And then it gives the three stories in the Bible. Matter of fact, I'll say this before I give you the three stories real quick. Ecclesiastes 8, 8, it says there's no discharge in time of war. Most of us don't realize we're not called to just be saved. We're called to enter into the war. The battle's already been won, so we're now God's occupational forces. So we can see the terms of the treaty, the gospel, fully enforced. There's no neutral ground. Not in politics, not in entertainment. I just signed a movie deal. 
before my Monday night meeting, I had all the pastors there. I said, pastors, will you come up and give a blessing to this? It's called, it's called Walk on a Warrior's Heart. It's like Rudy's story, Sanctified. They want to get Rudy, the real Rudy, to meet me before the Notre Dame game next year. I said, I'll kick his tail again. <laughs> but we're doing a movie. And I said, I'm not going to do it unless it's going to glorify God. I'm not going to do it unless it's God honoring. Do you know who we're looking at to play the part of my coach? Marv Goo. Tough as nails, kind of a general pattern. It'll shock you. And he's interested. Will Ferrell. Wouldn't that be a trip? I can't even tell you who they're looking to play the part of Big Tommy. <sighs> Channing Tatum. Yes. I said, what a perfect guy. <laughs> Magic Mike. We'll get the boys saved. Hallelujah. But you know what? It, it's, it's an opportunity. It's a chance. I said, we need to take Hollywood back. We need to raise up godly standards. The guy that's producing it, you should see. He's the most spirit-filled man I've ever met. He says, we want to make an image. He did the um, Equalizer production with uh, Denzel Washington. He said, Tommy, we need to get in there and make it gritty, make it truthful, but bring it God-honoring. And somebody said, what's the difference between your story and Rudy? And my friend Lakita jumped up. She goes, I know what it is. Rudy did it for himself. He said, but you did it for others, and you're still doing it today. And I said, that's the message. If we can inspire people not only doing this, say, hey, I'm doing this for my honor, what I want, I'm doing this for God's honor. What does God want? How can he use it further? And I just shook my head thinking, man, I played one play at USC. And in the movie, I'm going to get that sack. Real life, I, I made the quarterback throw it out of bounds. But in the movie, he's going to get sacked. That's called artistic direction. So, but listen to this. As we close this out. This is what, what God's calling us to do to impact our, our culture. We, we, we hear the phrase Jesus culture. I love that. It's a way of life. It's not just a motto. But here's, here's what God's saying. This is what I was trained and born and birthed with in my Christianity. I thank God for it. Genesis 1, verse 26. This is God's plan for man from the very beginning. It said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds, over the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, pastor, it says we're to rule over the creeps, right? <laughs> then God created man in his own image. The image of God he created, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. Now, here's the blessing. Here's your blessing. Not to heal, not to get. God said to him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So literally it says, fill, subdue, rule. That's the dominion mandate God has for us as Christians. Fill, subdue, rule. You're in education, fill, subdue, rule. You're in business, fill, subdue, rule. If you're going to work for a company, why not be the best? 
Why not believe for the favor? Why not believe? But not for your own benefits, but say, I want to be an example of God. I'm taken back with this devil stole. He runs business by greed, selfishness, and lust. Pride and ego. But the greatest among you, the Bible says, is a servant of all. I'm, I'm doing my business to be a servant. My friend that owns Spagantini's down in Seal Beach in Beverly Hills, he said, my whole business is built on servant mentality. My hundred employees, I'm their servant. And I teach them to serve the 15,000 people that come through my restaurant a year. He said, do you know what I pay my bus boy, his head bus boy? I said, I have no idea. $90,000 a year. I said, how can you justify that? He said, I'm serving him. I'm serving his family in the money he saves me. In cleaning and linen and in all the little details associated with, with house, the bus keeping, he said he's well worth that money. And I bet you he's got him for life. There's a loyalty there. The business is smokingly prosperous. But he says servant mentality, the greatest among you. He's ruling in the midst of his unconventional like any other man I know in business. He's there as a servant mentality. So this is the dominion mandate. And, and you can look at these stories later. But these three stories, I'm going to just tell them to you. You can write them down and you can look them up yourself. But, but the three examples of activism in the Bible of what God's called us to do is, is in Matthew 25, it says the, the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were lazy. And then the second story was in Matthew 25, verse 14, the servant that hid his talent. And then the last one is the fig tree in Luke 13, 6. And, and Jesus gave the parable that the vine dresser came looking for fruit. He said, hey, I've been looking for figs on that tree for three years. I found none. He said, cut it down. Why should it even waste the space? What he's saying is the parable of God looking to us and saying, hey, I've been looking for fruit on you for a long time. Not where's the beef, where's the fruit? And then you see in, in John 15, verse 8 and verse 16, it says, incredibly, it, it, it's, it's God's parable to us today. He's saying, hey, I want fruit from your life. He says, you shall bear fruit and your fruit shall remain. And thus, you're to prove you're my disciple by bearing fruit. Do you think it's important to God that we bear fruit? The love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kind of self-control in our word, thoughts, deeds, and our actions. We're supposed to be exporting that. He says, I come looking for fruit on you. Not just fruit of character, but, but good works and good deeds. You've been created for good works. You're not saved for good works, but you're saved, you're saved for good works is a better way to put it. Where's your fruit? Who are you impacting? What life-changing words are you leaving? Are you leaving a legacy or a vacancy? Because he looks at the tree and he says, hey, cut it down. Why should it even take up the space? That's why I think when I see a lot of so-called Christians, why are you even taking up space? Let's just go on and be with Jesus. Because you're doing no useful good in this earth. You're just taking up space, a seat in a church. Is Jesus really Lord of your life? Because you can tell by where you give your money. 
I think that's brilliant what we're doing at Christmas. Come with your gift. What do you got to give to God? Time, talent, treasures. You got an opportunity of offering to give. Did you give out of your heart? Think about it. The one woman. You know what? If Jesus was here, he wouldn't come in and say, hey, let me bless you. Let me prophesy over you. He's in the temple and he looks at the one woman and he says, that right there. She gave those two pennies. What that woman has done. Everybody else gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her heart. And what she's done is going to be spoken of for history. And we're still talking about her today because of her actions. It's not because it's so big of an amount, but it's a big heart. Your time, talent, treasures. God wants them all. Dominion mandate to fill, subdue, and rule. What are you taking over? Are you leaving a vacancy or a legacy? Who's coming up behind you? Who are you pouring your life into? What impact have you made? And I want to submit to you today before we close in prayers that you take this time as we get ready for communion and you dedicate yourself to God in a fresh and new way, saying, Lord, here I am, use me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Sanctifying yourself to the purpose, the will, and the plans of God to fill, subdue, rule. Not like the unwise virgins. When the Lord came back, they were out of oil. And at the end of that story, they couldn't get in. God said, I never knew you. Not like the, the, the wicked servant that hid his talent. God called him wicked and lazy. And not like the unfruitful tree. He said, Lord, here's my fruit. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just pray for the men and the women in this room. Father, that you would start to convert us into a dominion mandate thinking, a world Christian view, showing us how to enter the culture of Christianity. This is not a game, but we're entering into warfare. Even though the battle's been won, we're God's occupational forces to do business with our time, talent, treasures, with our sphere of influence. Because the day's going to come, we're going to stand before you. And the only thing we're going to be able to present is the fruits. Said, Lord, like King David in the book of Acts said, David fulfilled the purposes for God in his generation. Then he went to God. Do you want to be like that? To fill the purposes of God in your time? Father, in the name of Jesus, convert our hearts to desire more than else to do your will to occupy until you return. The Lord's telling me right now that some of you that are here, as you sanctify yourself to the Lord and you get about God's business, you're going to see incredible doors of opportunity, of blessings, of, of, of position and favor, of promotion. It's coming. Because you're sanctifying yourself to do the work of the Lord, saying, Lord, send me and I'll be your witness. I'll be your light. There's some of you here that are set, being set up for promotion and the reason why you're being promoted is you're going to bring the light of the gospel. Because you're standing for him, whether you say a word or not, just your demeanor.
Because you walk in the spirit of the Lord. His favors can open up doors and promote you. So, Father, we thank you for this. We, we look towards your verification of this word and more testimonies that are going to come. So we talked about contagious Christianity to occupy until you return. Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.